Sweden Rolls once again. Welcome, dear listeners. This time, the monthly interview is with Anders Blixt, a Swedish titan amongst the game creators. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. We're sitting in these very comfy armchairs at your place. Mm, yeah, this is my gaming den. You can see in front of you that that's the gaming table, and to your right you have all the bookshelves with a few hundred various games. Yeah. Yes. An impressive collection. Thank you. It's been a, I, I have accumulated games since the 1970s, so yes, it's it's pretty big nowadays. But I'm guessing you have some stuff in a cardboard box in the basement as well, maybe? Uh, or is that the... Uh, no, actually, I think I've, all the games are up here. I think so, yeah. yeah. But I have plenty of books in, in the basement because the, oh. the, 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 this room, the gaming room, is not big, big enough for all of them. I see, I see. I'm sitting a bit from the side, so I don't, right. I don't see the entire scope of it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe we should give a short uh, presentation of yourself, your background. How did you get, get into role-playing at well, all? It's a long story because I'm 60 years old. Uh, I joined the hobby in early 1970s. One of my... Uh, Friends in primary school and I we were we bought some m- military magazines which reviewed board games from SBI and Avalon Hill, uh, and we bought a few of them and we played and enjoyed it. And then we met some other gamers and voila, we had a gaming club in in Gothenburg in the mid nineteen seventies. My first introduction to role playing games was at. The first Gothcon, uh, Gothenburg GameCon in 1977, May 1977. A chap called Mikael Burjesson uh, ran a few demonstration games of original Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I was very simple, you know, go down, you, you, you walk down the stairs into the dungeon and you start having a random encounters. And I was hooked straight away. This was really my thing, much more interesting than pushing. Uh, cardboard counters on big maps. So I bought, I bought Dungeons and Dragons and I game mastered it a few times. And then I found Traveler in 1978. That turned out to be my game because I love science fiction, uh, far more interested in science fiction than fantasy. So I, I started up in 1978. My, my first really serious campaign was Traveler. I ran it for four years. And that made me into a game professional game designer because I bought the first Journal of Travel State Society, the official traveler magazine in London in, in, in August 1979. And I started thinking, yeah, I could do something about this. I have plenty of ideas for my own campaign. And I, I, at that time, I was a conscript soldier in, in the Swedish army, and I was a paper pusher at a military hospital. So I, there were typewriters, and the evenings were pretty dull. So I started writing stuff, typing stuff at, at, at the job, and my sergeant major thought it was okay as long as I did my duties. So I, I wrote uh, uh, an adventure seat, so-called Amber Zone for, for the Journal of Travel State Society, submitted it, and to my great surprise, they, they took it and they paid for it. A few dollars, like four or five dollars, but that was a fantastic experience for a 
when I was I was twenty years old then in nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. And it was published in, in general number five in, in nineteen eighty. So then I continued playing traveller and, and writing this and that for for, for the journal and uh, they published a handful of other other stuff in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. That's how I that's how it started. I see, and considering your vast career sense, yeah. <laughs> we we must thank Traveller magazine for paying you those four or five dollars. Yes, yes, it. it really it really changed my life uh, for the better. I, 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 working in this hobby has given me such immense joys over the years, and I got so much much positive feedback feedback from my readers. So it just, I, I mean. It, now we're four I'm this is 40 years later and I'm still writing role playing games so I'm hooked on it yeah and then in the early slash mid 80s yeah. you got involved with uh, target games and yes, spel in Sweden yes i was hired by by uh, target games in in the spring of 1985 just after i had finished my my university education so i packed my belongings and moved from gothenburg to stockholm and and started working in that rather exotic office on a on a key on a pier in 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 uh, Stockholm Freeport uh in the harbor with ships yeah. coming in and out around us it was a very cheap office that's why we ended up there <laughs> uh, and there i worked for 4 years developing and designing their lines of games was Drakkar de Moner mutant we did a Swedish edition of Merp, Middle Earth Role Playing. We did a Swedish edition of the Star Wars uh, D6 role playing game from West End, and Swedish edition of Chill, a horror role playing game, which probably is forgotten today. So, and I, I just, I did a lot of things. I was the general design right slash writer. Slash uh, answer your questions, whatever. <laughs> yeah, generalist at, at the office. Very enjoyable time. You know. It was it was great. We were that was at the start of the role playing boom in in Sweden. Dragon de Morner, which is the huge Swedish game, came out in 1984 in in the proper edition. There had been another edition in 1982 that didn't sell well. It was completely revised in in 1984. And that was the one I started working with in 1985. And the, the hobby took off like, like a rocket in those days. We, we had a very efficient distribution network. I mean, pre-internet, everything had to do, be done by on foot. Yeah. Salespeople having to go out and, and, and uh, push the products and things like that. Mm. And, and we had a very good partner there uh, who handled toy distribution for a lot of companies. And we had our games in the shops from all over Sweden, in all over Sweden, from south to north. And we, we turned out to be the role-playing game in Sweden, just as Dungeons and Dragons is the game in the United States. Exactly. And we kind of set the, set the bar for what is a good and mm-hmm. what is a good game. And the Drop and the Mourner is originally derived from uh, uh, the RuneQuest uh, rule system with the BRP. BRP. Well, um, Chaosium did a game that was called Magic World in the early 80s. It didn't succeed particularly in the United States, but 
target games bought the Swedish rights to, to translate and develop it as we saw fit. And we did so as we saw yeah. fit. And here in Sweden, it turned out to be the right game. Yeah, the the boom, as you speak, was enormous. Mm. I think Sweden, since then, has been the the biggest role-playing game country per capita yeah. in the world. Yeah, and I, I can say that the, this 1984 edition of Drug Under Morrow, called the Black Box, sold... It, 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 it was a tremendous sales success. We sold more of it than any other game in the world, except for Dungeons & Dragons. We outsold our American competitors on a global scale, except for TSR, of course. Yeah, in of those course, days, you, could, you no. couldn't compete with TSR. No. And we did this, this we did, oh, this is in Sweden only. Eight yeah. million people, I mean, there were about as many people in Sweden as in the New York City in those days. Yeah. And we managed to sell such a humongous um, number of games. Mm. Uh, when I look back, I mean, we will never see that again. I no. mean, we, we have still have a very active hobby in Sweden, but that kind of success won't come back. And uh, you, I, I must say that you, we owe a huge debt to you for uh, bringing, because you were, your job at Target Games was to get the products out yeah. and to, to be the spider in the web, yeah. to get all these creative people, the writers, mm-hmm. the illustrators, mm-hmm. to finish products and the finishing touches on the, on the games. Exactly. I was... If I, I'm correctly informed. Yeah, I was a product manager, uh, and uh, I masterminded most of our projects from idea to sending off stuff to the printer. After mm. that, uh, I didn't touch them. There was something for the distributors to handle. But I had a, a comprehensive, you know, outlook on, on what we were going to publish, and it, it worked well. So this has been a lot about the Swedish game market yeah. so far. But your work with uh, Target Games and with Traveler as well, yeah. it uh, it um, it made you a name internationally. Yeah. So, which games in English that our international listeners may be uh, um, may may know about have you been involved with? Uh, I think uh, Traveler and, and Middle Earth Role Playing are, are are those that are most well known. Uh, I wrote a lot of stuff for Traveler. But that was magazine articles. For Iron Crown, I wrote uh, King's Drive and uh, Southern Gondor together with an American chap called uh, Chris Seaman, who was brilliant mm. uh, litera- in literature and, and history. He really could cover the middle of Tolkien, Tolkienian mood. And then I wrote uh, a Europe uh, module for Iron Crown's uh, cyberpunk game called cyberspace and my module was called cyber europe this was in the in the 1990s uh i remember sitting in 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 india in the early 90s with my first laptop macintosh 100 very primitive machine sitting there in the sunlight in uh, in india and typing uh Middle of stuff for for Iron Crown, and then an American visitor took the diskette, you know, three and yeah. a half inch diskette, in her luggage, and then when she came to America, she mailed it 
to, to Iron Crown. There was no internet connection. No. That was the only way we could could get those things to right. But yeah, uh, but then in 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 the late nineties, uh, I I we my wife and I suddenly had three children, so I had to cut back on game writing. And, yeah. We got three children, uh, 98, zero, uh, zero, and zero, 03. And so... My... Quote-unquote, that, that was good timing because that was also <laughs> the decline of the role-playing game yeah. industry, not only in Sweden, but globally as well. I yeah, think. and that was very, very noticeable. And concerning your work with MERP, which is the, the ones that I'm most mm. familiar with, uh, the Kinstrife module is often mentioned as uh, one of, if not the best module for, for the MERP game. That's very flattering. And uh, yeah, we it was a labor of love. Chris Seaman and I, uh, we, we, we really wanted to do this. and We wanted to do it our way. And Jesse Jenna Grimm, who was uh, product manager for the MERP line at Iron Crown, she was very accommodating because she realized that we were onto something which was quite unlike the earlier MERP models. Now we, yeah. do, we were dealing with heavy politics uh, and uh, history, very, very deep. And yeah, looking back, it's one, of, it's one of my favorite products of all I've written in these 40 years. Yeah. This, it stands out very, very high up on the, on the list. I, I really love it. Uh, I ran a game for Redmond Roleplaying and uh, yeah. I interviewed you about the MERP. So yeah. any listener that wants to have a, a really deep delve into the works of Anders with um, MERP <laughs> Kinstrife can, can listen to that interview by Redmond Roleplaying. Yeah. I think we will bore you if we would, on top of everything else we want to talk about today, talk yeah. about MERP for a half an hour or an hour <laughs> yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. So we, we can um, we can switch the, the, the yeah, yeah. current. But, but it's re it's really it's really my favorite mm. MERP module because uh, well, first of all, the uh, the layout mm. is much more accessible. Yeah. That was that is one of my my biggest critiques against the MERP modules, mm. and one of the things that I really like what you did with the Swedish version. Of the MERP mm. uh, because they're much more accessible in the layout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get a headache almost just opening Shilob's Lair or yeah, yeah, I agree. Those uh, tiny print Times New Roman, it's all looks hideous. Yeah, uh, the graphics looks just plain hideous. Uh, much of the stuff in it is great, yeah, but the layout is yeah, really is really killing you. And we had very good layout people at, at Target Games, uh, Klaus Bandal, Nisgulikson, and uh. What's her name? Lotta. Yeah. Mm. They did a great job. They really knew how to, to make things look. And then we had mm. Nils was also an in-house artist and he was outstanding. Yeah. And that is the same as a good look song yeah. who illustrated Forbidden Lands, which uh, Sweden Rolls are playing at the moment. Yeah. And he, he, I mean, he is the number one game illustrator in, in the hobby since 35 years. Yeah, and he works very fast. If yeah. I yeah, um, he he was it was very interesting to see. I, I remember standing behind him and seeing how he worked, because most illustrators they start with a pencil and start sketching up things. He took the ink straight away, started in the lower left corner, just drawing, and he had everything clear in his head. He could see where everything would end up on the paper. He could see it inside his head. He just put it there. It was I've never seen anyone do it like this. He yeah. was fast and extremely skilled. 
Yeah. yeah. We've, uh, he's been, uh, I met him a few times when we have done uh, stuff together at conventions and stuff like that. He's done some signings. Mm -hmm. And instead of signing, or instead of just signing, yeah. he makes you <laughs> a, a custom illustration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing being able to do that. I, yeah. And if he had lived in the United States, he would have been as, as famous as Larry Elmore. Yeah. Or Michael Whelan. No yeah. problem. No, yeah, no doubt absolutely. about that. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're hoping the, the international launch for Forbidden Lands and the, uh, immensely positive, um, reviews that that game has gotten that he will finally get some mm. more international recognition as well. He deserves that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So moving on, uh, from that, I wanted to ask you a few questions about because you, Uh, both create rules and settings. Yeah. Uh, when I talk to Eric Granström, for instance, he only writes settings. Mm. He's not interested in rules mm. at all. Yeah. So, um, beginning with that, like you, you've created so many rule, different yeah. rule system. What is your starting point? What's the first thing you think about when you try and create a rule system for an RPG? Yeah, that is what are the adventurers supposed to achieve? If you if you take an example, if you play, if you want to design something for Star Wars, yes, they want to fly spaceships, uh, have dogfights with Imperial TAI fighters, uh, have uh, blaster blaster shootouts and duels with lightsabers. Okay, then you can make a checklist. The game has to handle these items yeah. or these actions, uh, and then you start thinking: How do I represent it? Then you come into the the theme. The mood, the thematic background of the game. Star Wars, all flush and bang and gewitz. And uh, if you move into, take some some other good example. If you take uh, Walking Dead, you have this TV series. TV series. I, I I I would have liked to do a zombie survival game for that. I haven't done it, <laughs> but then you have, would have this gritty feeling, you know, and mm. it, it's dangerous getting injured. It, it's a lot of everyday survival, and you have to make a checklist about that. And then you have to be close to reality, well, some sort of reality, mm. different levels of realism. The zombies are not realistic, but, but the everyday survival has to be realistic. Yeah. In a walking and the social game. encounters. Social encounters, be, exactly. Yeah. In, in Star Wars, you can, can, cannot teach all that kind of real, social realism. It's just uh, matinee fun. So, yeah. so that's that's kind of basic checklist. And, and then you have to figure out how do I represent this uh, in game mechanics? Uh, Walking Dead, for instance, it would be an excellent BRP game, you know, with skills that advance slowly and pretty clear challenges. And you, you can only reach a certain proficiency, then you can't get better than that. Uh, Star Wars, I mean, it can be anything. Uh, it can be like Darth Vader, yeah. So I think um, that you have to have an open system, opens upwards. So then okay. you can't have BRP, then you have some sort of D20 or... Yeah, yeah Kefev's, uh the Kefev's engine where two two d six plus skill and uh, try to get as hard as high as possible. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the basics. Of, and then you have to look into the, the the metaphysics also. I mean, if you do Star Wars, you have to account for the Force. You have to watch the movies and try to figure out what what George Lucas might have been thinking. Sometimes it doesn't match up, and then you have to to, to figure out how to make it at least attractive to the gamers. Yeah. 
And in, in Walking Dead, you don't have to bother much about that. It's gritty reality, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, do you yourself have a preference, like with dice? Do you, dice pool D twenty? D twenty. I like D twenty. Uh, the BRP D twenty. Uh, Pendragon. Yeah. Try to roll as high as you can, but not above your skill level. Uh, I think that catches things. It's very useful. You can do a lot of things with with that arrangement. Blackjack. We call it in Swedish game designers. Called that blackjack system. Okay. And uh, yeah, I've been worried about that. Uh, or if I don't want to do something flashbang, I think that the Western games, D6, uh, where you roll a number of D6 and add them together, you can get really nice dramatic skills, uh, skill rolls there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, creating settings, uh, what would you first think of? That's my my favorite part. It's more interesting to write settings than to write rules. The, the I, first thing I have to do with the setting is to find its theme. Uh, in in Tolkien's Middle Earth, the, the theme is the struggle between the shadow and the light, and the shadow has certain qualities in darkness and deception and brutality and so on uh, and and temptation. Uh, and the light has this uh, walking walking tall, uh, be brave, be courteous, be honest, uh, avoid getting avoid temptations. Uh, and, and I have to set set that in my hand, you know, really clearly. What is the theme of this particular setting? I mean, if you take uh, Conan, for instance, another setting, you you would have swashbuckling uh, adventures, not particularly much about morality, you drink a lot, you fight a lot of monsters, and, and uh, you just get on, uh, yeah. So, And then, based on that, I, I try to, to, to have uh, both a big view and a small view. Uh, it's very easy, in a setting, to get stuck in the big view. Uh, Middle-earth, for instance, then you get stuck in the history and all the years, and migrations and battles and so on but it does it, it won't do it's not an, enough in, in in a game setting you have to get really low down to the everyday life of the adventures uh, what is it like to live in Minas Tirith uh, it's very very superficially described by, by Tolkien because it was not necessary in, in in the context of his story but if you play a game in, in Tolkien's Middle South you, you have to create the feeling of being in Minas Tirith or Umbar and so on. Then you have to go in low down, you know, what do people do for their living and uh, how do they treat each other and so on. Yeah, that's that's the really nitty-gritty thing. I love it. I love writing that. Listening to your words, uh, me being um, completely enamored with uh, Francesco Nepotello's The One Ring, I would say that oh, you would brilliant. you would really like that. Yeah, I, I have it in my bookshelf now, and it's so it's so brilliant. He captures the, the Tolkienian yeah. spirit so well. You know, all all praise Aglerio, Aglerio, yeah. Aglerio. <laughs> exactly. uh, it's one of these things I wish I could have done, but I didn't do it. It's but, uh, he did it first. He did it first, <laughs> and he did a brilliant job. Like the Columbus egg story. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Because hearing your your list of things that you would want to have in a in a talking game, mm. it was almost like a checklist for that game. Yeah, yeah, he was. 
he was obviously thinking in, in the way I, I did, I do, and I am so happy about that. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant man and a brilliant game. Yeah. Do you have any rituals when you're writing? Do you always sit by the same table, use the same pen or computer, uh, or oh, some music you often uh, use? Or... Coffee. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I, I jokingly say that Anders Blix is a machine that turns coffee into role-playing games. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I don't drink alcohol, I don't smoke, you know, I live a very healthy life, but coffee is my, my sole vice. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very finicky with the, with the quality of, 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 the, of the brew. You know, I do it myself, you know, and I know exactly what I want. All right. So a fresh, a fresh pot. Fresh pot of coffee, and I have thermos flask full of coffee, and then sit down at my computer and just start thinking and typing and uh, fueling myself every day, refueling. Yeah. You often write at evenings, mornings. Uh, It's either mornings or evenings, uh, general, because I I can write in the evening when I come home from work. I mean, I have a very mundane day work as a tech writer, uh, tech writer in the IT business. And on the on weekends, uh, I usually write in the morning. If I get up like seven in the morning, um, so then I can sit and write for a while all to myself. So, mm. Mm. I mean, the kids are adults now, so I don't, they manage themselves. They manage themselves. Yeah. yeah. Mine are still very small. So. <laughs> <laughs> I remember what that was like, oh. yeah. So tell us a bit about what you're working on at the moment. What's in the future for yeah. Anders Blixt fans? Yeah. Uh, I have signed a few NDAs. So oh, okay, let's I, leave that no, out. <laughs> there is something I can talk about at least. Uh, so leaving these things aside, I, I've started doing things by myself. And on uh, drive through RPG and Amazon, because I, I reached the age now and I have plenty of spare time and, and fun things to do. And it's, it's terribly easy to publish things these days. I just need to make PDFs. And my one of my daughters, Ellen, uh, the tiger, she's uh, studying at an art and design school and she's an illust- she's learning to be an illustrator. So she's she's going to illustrate my own games now. You know, we're going to do it together. And right now I'm outlining uh, an alternate traveler universe, which is, uh, it's kind of a mix of uh, old Swedish game called Wastelands, which I wrote 30, uh, long long time ago, anyhow, with with evil... uh, uh, extraterrestrials conquering Earth, and uh, 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 what do you do when they, they are gone? So basically, basically, you have a traveler setting where 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 the big bad empire, there's the big bad space empire, generally referred to as the tyranny, they have perished for reasons, and suddenly all these enslaved species, humans and whatever, plenty of them in, in stand in the ruins of the empire and realize they have to survive. And I'm going to write a traveler setting there. You know, you you it's a bit you you have to go out into the unknown as a human and find out what's out there. And these tyrants uh, are they still around somewhere, or are they all gone, or what other 
species? What other aliens do we meet out there? And what attitudes do they have towards humans? So it's it's kind of post-apocalyptic on a interstellar scale. Mm-hmm. And working with your daughter must be very, very yeah, it's, fun. It's very, very fun to, to work with the alien. I, I never expected that to happen. I was like, she started at this art and design school. Uh, she has to do a lot of homework, you know, illustrating and uh, designing things. And I said, I have these game stuff. Would you like to illustrate that? And you sit in school. Yes, she said, I'll do that. So that's how it started. Perfect. Win win. You win win. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're closing up on the and so the other ones are NDAs. NDAs, unfortunately, so, yeah. yeah. Just keep your eyes open, and uh, hopefully things will materialize later in 2019 when they when the when the Kickstarters are announced. All right, I see. Uh, and, but you're also on Patreon. I'm on Patreon. Yeah. Yes, under so, there. So if you want to support my career as a game designer, just go there and. Be my patron. My pa- Patreon.com slash Anders Blixt. I think so, yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. So, and I, I, I was very, so hum, it was a very humbling experience to realize that, yes, there are people who want to support me on Patreon. Yeah. Because it was one of my friends who said, so said to me, I mean, you have a, there are a lot of people who love your writing. You should have a Patreon page. Yeah, I thought a good idea. Yeah. So I fixed it, and, and suddenly, yes, <laughs> I, I'm so happy about that because I'm going to. I, I'm 60 now. I'm about to retire in a few years, and having a having Patreon Patreon support will augment my meager pension and make it possible to me to go on writing as long as I have clear thoughts in my head. And my father was an uh, energetic person till he was 85. So then I would have another. 20 years. Oh, that <laughs> sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Hoping for that. Yeah, we really hope for that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to finish off with a few yes. uh, uh, fast questions. Yeah. Speed questions. Uh, if you want to elaborate, you, you're welcome yeah. to. But, um, so what is your favorite RPG not written or tampered with by yourself? Oh, that would be a hard question indeed. Uh, Space 1889, uh, Victorian Adventures on Mars, with uh, steam-powered spaceships, evil Martian cults, uh, (laughs) stiff upper lips, and uh, Gatling guns. Yeah, (laughs) very, very amusing. Yeah. Amazing. Do you have a preference in genre you mentioned earlier? Uh, Having a preference to a sci-fi? Science fiction and police procedural. I, I really like Playing okay. gumshoe style. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Making investigations yeah. and uh, having a mystery to solve. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Music while role playing, yes or no? No. I'm a bit hard of hearing and it just distracts me. Okay. Uh, snacks during sessions? As long as they don't grease, yes. Here in Sweden, uh, we have lots of candies. So it usually ends up with, you know, uh, Swedish. Uh, Candy cars and uh, licorice yeah. and, and uh, yeah, non-sticky things. Non-sticky things. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, alcohol during sessions. No yes or no? way. <laughs> alcohol makes people stupid. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, GM or PC? Both actually, uh, because in my game group, we're about ten middle-aged people, and 
four of us are game masters, so we can alternate a lot. Oh, and I really like that. That's nice. Yeah. So do you do you each each GM have his or her own system or game, yeah. or do you alternate that as well? We we share the same campaigns, and we all use the classical BRP you know, one die one die hundred percentage rolls. Uh, and we develop the campaigns together and, and game master them together, alternate as game masters in the oh, campaigns. Nice. Yeah. Well, would you be able to play like game masterless even if you are co doing it? No, 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 no. We have never tried that, and I don't think uh, it would work particularly well because our, our uh, adventures tend to be rather mystery oriented. You have to oh, have okay. a game master feeding out the, so you, the clues. You, so together you work out the bigger picture, yeah, exactly. the, the red line, and, and then each yeah. GM provides the setting with a mystery yeah, for yeah. the rest of us you to solve. Exactly, subplots okay. yeah, we, that we keep secret from one another. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, that's about the end of my list of questions for mm-hmm. you. I want to thank you very much for taking your time. It was very nice to jo- join to up here. And uh, I mean, as you all have noticed, I love this. I can go on <laughs> talking about games for, for a few hours. No problem whatsoever. Maybe this will be part one of two <laughs> of the Anders Blixt interviews. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, listeners, very much for listening to us. Goodbye and farewell. Thank you for listening to this monthly interview by Sweden Rolls. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook to get the opportunity to win some awesome giveaways from Dreamcraft. And if you have an Apple device, please grade us on iTunes. It helps us immensely in trying to reach more listeners. And if you don't, well, then you can just tell your friends about us. And if you really love the show, please check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash Swedenrolls. We have some awesome rewards there for those of you who might consider throwing us a buck or two. We are so close now to reaching our $100 goal, where we will start giving you a monthly prequel special episode. The music for Swedenrolls is created by myself, Andreas Lundström. Until you hear us again, goodbye. Farewell. Well.